I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. G-A-L-D-E-M G-A-L-D-E-M This song is good. Hello and welcome to Galdem's first ever podcast. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name's Liv, I'm Galdem's founder, and for those of you who don't know, Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to platforming the voices, perspectives, and creative work of women and non-binary people of colour. Hello, I'm Charlie, I'm the head of editorial at Galdem, and I'll be co-hosting our podcast with Liv. We're super excited to be starting our journey with you. Each week, we'll invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters, or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to our podcast, Growing Up With Galdem. Hello. Hi. Hi. It is a small but hopefully very engaged and enthusiastic crowd. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you so much for having us here today. We're really excited to be in Newcastle. It's our first event here. It's called Growing Up With Galdem, so welcome to Growing Up With Galdem. Um, And we've got three wonderful guests here who we are inviting to respond to their old diary entries, letters or text messages, um, essentially to nurture important discussions around what it means to grow up um, as a person of colour. So we're really, really excited to be welcoming Mariam Khan, Anita Seti and Rennie Edo-Lodge here today. So let's give them a round of applause. So you guys are literally some of my favourite people in the sort of creative industries. So yeah, thank you for joining us. I was going to read out your bios. So Mariam Khan is a freelance writer and and the editor of It's Not About the Burqa, which is an incredible anthology. Uh, (laughs) She is a co-contributor to the Rife Anthology book and has written for the Metro ID Days, Stylist and The Guardian. And Anita is an award-winning writer, journalist and critic who has also written for publications including The Guardian and The Observer. And she's also the author of two forthcoming books. Two. Amazing. I'm not sleeping, man. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I Belong Here, A Journey Along the Backbone of Britain in 2020 and Nocturne, A Journey Through Darkness in 2021. So thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here. And then finally, Rennie Edo-Lodge is a British journalist and author who's written for the New York Times, The Guardian, The Independent and The Voice. There was actually a much longer list than this, but I had to cut it down. Um, Her 2017 book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, won both the Jalak Prize for Book of the Year by a writer of colour and the Bread and Roses Award for Radical Book in 2018. And it is really good if you haven't read it yet. So to kick it all off, we're going to ask each of our guests in turn um, to read the extract that they've got and tell us a little bit about where you were at the time and place and space in the headspace that you're in, I guess, when you were writing that extract. 
if you can remember, maybe how old you are, where you were, that kind of thing. Um, so we're going to start with Anita, please. Okay. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. Also slightly terrifying. And if I knew then that I would be one day reading out this entry, which I did my best to hide in like all the best hiding places. But now, anyway, it's going to be public. So I was sat in my bedroom in inner city Manchester where I grew up. And my diary, I was like an avid diary keeper. My diary was like my best friend. Aww. And I would tell her everything. And, and I've looked back at my diaries and I've realised just how much I felt erased, which I didn't realise then. But looking back, I realised, and, and this is an extract about um, how I was erased by language and by humour and by a so-called friend. And I was a teenager at the time, like 14. Jane told this joke at school today. Why did the Romans build straight roads? She looked right at me while she was asking the question and then she said the punchline, so Packies couldn't build corner shops. She knows my grandma had a corner shop and lives above it and she still said it in front of me. I've been feeling sick all day as I thought we were friends and how could she tell a joke like that and, and expect me to find it funny? I'm disgusted. Too tired to do homework, got maths desk tomorrow's shit. Bought some foundation from the shop, but it's the wrong colour. They haven't got my colour. See, that's another example of being erased as well. Like, I couldn't find the voice to answer back to Jane today at school. I was so shocked and hurt. The words stuck in my throat. One day, I hope I'll find the words to speak up to her. I guess I chose that extract because um, it's, it's an early experience of being called Packy, and it happened again this year when I was on a train to Newcastle earlier this year. Um, I did speak up and I reported the man. He called me Packy Con, no kids in the room, and um, told me to go back, asked me if I had a British passport, um, told me to go back to where I'm from, which is Manchester, mm. <laughs> and said, these strange people who come over here on banana boats, and then what was going on. Anyway, I reported him and he was um, charged, con uh, charged, pleaded guilty and was convicted of a racially aggravated public order offence. So it was just about saying that language can wound and the law says that actually it's not okay and we, we're expected to laugh these things off and like growing up like it happened all the time and we're expected just to laugh it off and it was just sick of it and said I know enough's enough I'm not going to laugh it off this time yeah I, I definitely can relate to that I felt a lot of pressure um in my so I grew up in, in Edinburgh so not far from here um I felt a lot of pressure in my friendship group to sort of make light of this of racist comments that were Sort of thrown around at that age so thank you for sharing that with us we'll come back to it shortly um okay next up we have mariam it's very nice to be here i'm glad to be part of the panel so my extract isn't from a long lost story and i am going to put my phone on silent <laughs> um it's actually an instagram um post which you can't find on my Instagram anymore because I archived it because I wanted to hide it because that's my way of hiding stuff online. So it's, it's a couple of years back and I wanted to read it because it's something I've been thinking about a lot and I don't know if I've actually made any progress with it so I'm just going to read it out to you. Um, and as, since it's an Instagram post, it's um, the backdrop, just to put it in your mind, is a picture of... Um, our house in Pakistan, in the village. Um, and it, when I say village, I genuinely mean village. There's like 30 houses and like it's very bare. <laughs> There's no like really tall buildings and everyone knows each other and you can see into each other's houses. Um, but our house in the village is very much very high up on the mountain. Um, so you can kind of oversee everything. Anyway, um, I wrote this and matched it with that picture. I'm the daughter of an immigrant mother. On forms I tick, British, Asian, Pakistani. I identify as British. I was born and grew up in the UK, but my mother didn't. Culturally, I'm Pashtun, so I identify with the British, Pakistani, Pashtun diaspora. Plus, I'm Muslim, and that just com that's just complicated in itself. In many ways, my cultural experience has been similar to many Pashtun girls in Pakistan. It's also been different. My culture has been amended and filtered to fit into a fit into the Western world. In reality, it's taken me a long process to come to this conclusion. I find identity such a tricky area to explore. I, I don't fit in into one place or area or group. I'm a new sort of identity, a mixture of things. In the picture, the house in the middle is our family house in Pakistan. I call that home when I'm there, but I call my home in England home too. Sometimes when I'm there, I feel guilty that I have a home elsewhere. 
For me, feeling like I belong or could belong in more than one place is complicated because I feel like I'm betraying the other. It's this idea of always being half a different person in one place and half a different person in, in the other place. It's complex and nuanced, and I guess it all ties in with my identity and me feeling like an imposter, like I don't belong in either places properly. Like I'm just not right, you know? Home and identity are complex things to me. I wonder when these things will become less complex. I still don't know when, <laughs> when it's going to become less complex. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think there's a lot for us to unpack in, over the course of this conversation um, in terms of navigating multiple identities um, and not feeling at home when you're in your home. And, and yeah. yeah, it's definitely something that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. So thank you so much. Um, and next up, we have Renny. This is an extract from my diary. I probably would have been about 12 here. I found this this morning. This is the... An the, actual real-life diary. The literal diary. diary. Wow. The Aww. literal diary. Um, I'm going to read it out to you. And I very neatly... I used to read a lot of, um, like, young adult books, like Angus Thongs and Four Frontal I Snogging. I love that, that book. Like, or, um, <laughs> what was that one with the teenage boy? Um, Adrian Marle, yeah. yeah. Um, where, like, also love that. It was basically their diaries, and it was formatted very neatly. And so I imitated that in my own diaries, so I can tell you that the date was Thursday the 4th of April 2002, <laughs> and um, it was during the Easter holidays. Okay, so, dear diary, gah! <laughs> Exclamation mark. Oh God, oh God, oh God. My insides are all ripping up. Why didn't she fucking tell me? Tell is italicized, which I don't think that's necessary in handwriting, but that's <laughs> who I was. <laughs> Brendalyn was round today and she goes and tells me that my mum is pregnant. Oh God, oh God, oh God. God, why did you do this to me? I don't need another Tobias. That's my brother. <laughs> it's the last thing I need. I phoned Alex and told her and she swore she wouldn't tell a soul. I tried to get her to come round tomorrow, but it's someone's birthday. God, why does this have to happen to me? That's the extract. That's it. <laughs> So you told I got my brother's blessing to read that out. That's good. Yeah, and you told us the spoiler when it comes to this extract, which was my mom wasn't actually pregnant. She wasn't pregnant. Yeah. No. After after all the anxiety and stress yeah. that you went through, it was very. I don't quite know why I was so angry. I mean, I'm trying to think back to that moment. I do remember feeling particularly terrible when, you know, the idea was put out that my mother could be pregnant. I was 12 at the time. My brother's seven and a half years younger than me, so he must have been, like, just out of toddling years. And um, I imagine that I probably had to do a lot of babysitting without my consent, um, and I didn't like the idea of having to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're like, never again. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, thank you guys for sharing. Um, and I just, I, I wanted to talk just briefly about how we, I, we sort of came to know you guys. Obviously, Renny, you featured in... Galdam's first ever print issue I think I don't know if you remember the interview but it was like I think just before your book came out mm -hmm, um, I do remember yeah yeah um which was really special for us to have you in that first issue obviously Mariam you're on the cover of our latest print edition cover star the only cover I'll be on but yeah <laughs> <laughs> and Anita hopefully we're going to be collaborating with you in the new year yeah, that please yeah <laughs> um but anita's work is yeah it's some of my favorite i think i read your interview with derek Gawusu, oh yeah he's interview. fantastic mm. and his new book as well he's an author who's got a book, derek Gawusu, he's got a book called that reminds me and it really destigmatizes mental health mm -hmm. and um for example conditions like borderline personality disorder which mm -hmm. haven't really been talking about spoken about in the mainstream mm -hmm. and um yeah, that was really important. Also to speak about people, people of colour's mental health mm -hmm. and how it can be taboo as well. Mm -mm. Basically, we're big fans of you all. <laughs> yeah, we love you all, so thank you. Um, so, Anita, we're big fans of you. Yeah. Oh, oh, thanks. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we do this all day. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, uh, I think, you know, one of the things that was interesting to explore, and, and Charlie kind of touched on this in terms of her experiences of growing up in Scotland and maybe being the only one in her friendship group and, like, mm -hmm. you know, navigating that and some of the comments that were made... Are you still friends with this friend that you refer to in this extract? Absolutely not. And <laughs> like, I think like now we have a lot more terms which you know are really useful. Mm. Like I'd say frenemy. 
friend of me. Well, then, friend. Yeah. Then, then, yeah. then she was. Now I don't have to keep in touch. But then you have Facebook, where everyone at school adds everyone. Actually, I think we might be friends on Facebook, but we don't oh. interact. You don't interact. But it was. I mean, it, it was interesting about humour because it was just expected that you know people would people would. And I've encountered it a lot in other situations. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're expected to laugh along mm-hmm. and that if we don't find it funny um, it's us that's stuck up or mm-hmm. us that are uptight and can't take a joke mm-hmm. and I still find that in like modern discourse in politics as well like we're supposed to just laugh along or lighten up yeah. or not be too not not be like the angry brown woman about mm. things well actually it's unacceptable you know you can't go around dehumanizing people with language in that way at what point did you get to that kind of stage or realisation that actually these are not things that you could kind of sweep under the rug? Because I think when you're younger, it's very it's, it's a lot easier yeah. to put up with I don't, things. Yeah, I don't think when I was 14, I was sort of have quite have that aware no, well, to, to know that what was being said to me was so wrong, whereas you yeah. seem in the sex chat to have really identified that she's, yeah, said something terrible. I think when I was growing up, um, I was like burning with rage and it would like eat me up inside and it became depression like I was depressed in my teenagehood and even earlier than that Mm -hmm. and that was because I was not expressing my anger if you don't express it it can like turn inwards and become depression and it would like eat me up I'd be like fuming like every day like the injustices and not having found a voice to speak up or articulate what I was feeling or or not have the words to explain what I was feeling and I think I felt like that for for a long time it's it's um and I think it's um initiatives like Gal Dem are giving people the courage to say this openly and in public mm. um to say things like I am human and I don't deserve to be dehumanized I'm as human as everyone else mm. so um I think it's still a struggle I think it's I think it's something that we um in adulthood it's a struggle even because we were talking about before like the worlds in which we um, operate, like the media, for example, still very, very white. And if you speak up, it can be a case of putting your head on the parapet um, often. But now I'm just sick of it. I'll do it. Anyway. And, and I'll speak. Because I know that it is... I know that um, I have to speak up. And I have to speak my truth. And I don't care about people pleasing. I know that if I speak up, some people might not like me. And I don't care. Marim, um, I saw you nodding your head along to some of what Anita was saying. Did you have any friends who were similarly problematic while you were growing up? I think there's a lot of people who are problematic growing up. Um, and I think that I didn't have the language or the confidence to be able to say, oh, hang on. Um, because often when you're young, not to be condescending to like younger people, um, people younger than me, because I'm only 26 and I still think that's young. Um, <laughs> you um, think that's old, yeah, so I do. that's good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, not to be condescending, but I think everything feels like it's the end of the world a, a lot of the time. Um, and we don't have, or I didn't have the vocabulary. I was like quite shy and like timid and like I really liked blending into walls or at least I was very good at it. Um, and so having an opinion was hard. I remember um, this, I don't remember the specific like commentary around it, but I remember as if like the scenes happened, but like with no, with like the sound off. I was on the bus because I used to get two buses to school. It was quite far from where we were. Um, and it was kind of in this sort of more white working class area. Um, and on the bus, I remember just someone behind me who was in the same class as me um, and I don't know what I'd done and they literally just pulled my scarf off from the back and like spilled water on my head and I just carried on like as if nothing happened and like just got off the bus when it was my stop and like I didn't say anything at home because you well, like why would like how do you deal with that because like my mum is like a single mother who doesn't really speak English very well or didn't then. And so like, am I really going to drag her in like, and get her to address this? And then how do you even address that? And then who are you having these conversations with? And is it just going to make everything worse? And you don't really know how to deal with like certain things when you're young. So, so a lot of the time when people say things to you, the thing about, and I think you're very, the thing that I was sort of nodding my head along to when you were talking is about the sort of internal rage. And a lot of the time people say to me and have said to me, like, where do you get like this, like, it's like this, I don't know how, how else to put it, but like, sort of like fire in your belly or like this, like, need to do things. And like, 
it's because I finally like found like spaces within where I can like have voices or have a voice or have a platform and I have fought like so hard to get into that space and then to make myself sort of understand the vocabulary in which to engage in those spaces and to help other people understand. So I'm obviously going to be incredibly passionate when I'm in those spaces. Um, so like that internal rage thing was very much something that I carried with me when I was younger. And you sort of, I'm not, you sort of like forget things, but like a lot of the times when you're younger, I think it's incredibly hard to deal with things. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And to sort of move on to your extract, you use the word imposter, um, and I, I thought that was very relatable, sadly. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that, that feeling of like not quite belonging and mm. you kind of touched on it just now. I had this conversation with quite a few people um, about whether they identified as British. Because I don't know if I do and I don't know why. I so, okay, maybe, maybe I should start this conversation in a, in a different way. I identify as a woman and I identify as a Muslim. But I don't know if I necessarily identify as like a British individual. Mm. And I think that's for two things. And it's this idea that I'm never allowed to be enough for whatever Britishness is. But then I'm also, I don't want to mold myself into whatever that is to fit in, if that makes sense. So it's like this stubborn like tugging that's going on constantly inside of me. And so I don't know how to identify. And then that often leaves me in this like, like, like nothingness. I don't know, like this, like this sort of chaos of what well, okay well how do I identify then and I'm very comfortable identifying as a Muslim woman but as soon as we start talking about like home or like you know where where my home is on this planet earth um it, it's it's difficult for me because when I'm home in Pakistan in like you know my mum's house there I feel incredibly comfortable like for the first few days I'm like oh my god there's not going to be running hot water I have to like make it warm or like the, the, the electricity is going to go every three minutes it literally does go every three minutes um or like there's going to be a mosquito like you know I'm I'm dreading it as soon as like leaving the UK I'm like oh my god this is all I've known I can't adjust and like in three but days particularly now it must yeah. be easier to get into that frame <laughs> of mind with all that's happening is, I haven't been back for a couple of years and we're supposed to be going back maybe like next year mm -hmm. for, for a cousin's wedding and and part of me is like, how am I going to adjust to anything? Like, I have to, like, heat up water. I have to, like, you know, so much. I won't have, I won't have Wi-Fi, like, for a whole month, potentially. Like, what's going to happen? Um, and all of these things. But as soon as you get there, mm. you just, it's, everything's fine. The world doesn't end. You know, you're around people that you completely love. You're in, you're in a space that's incredibly comfortable. Mm. Um, and and it's, it's really complex for me because... I'm just like, well, I really love being here. But then I feel like a sense of betrayal when I'm not there and I love being here, mm. like in the UK. But I don't know where, I don't know what I identify as. So that, that, that post for me is still really relevant because I'm not sure where I fit in or if I'm supposed to fit in. And I don't want to fit in on anyone else's terms because I'm really stubborn. <laughs> I remember one of the first like pieces of video content that we ever produced, which like is it was it looks very rough and, and ready now, but was um around that idea of like where are you from? Oh no, but where are you really from? And um we had all of the team and all of our writers kind of sharing their experiences of being othered in many different contexts and not yeah. really knowing where they fit in. And I think, yeah, that was I don't know, four years ago now, but it's still a conversation that we're having. It's still, yeah. you know, those feelings are still very much there. For a lot mm. of us, um, and and now that now that the you know Britain is in disarray and um, we don't know what's happening, maybe I think, yeah, that that's what's made it for me like mm. even more so. Mm. I think the more I think of identity, like that part of identity of like, as in where I belong, politicized, I sort of pull away from it mm -hmm. more. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, or if I'm not dealing with it and just running away from it. But yeah, you see, I I can't relate. Um, I feel that. I mean, I totally like. I think sympathise with the uh, the plight that you're discussing, but I also kind of feel that 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 turmoil is is externally imposed. Uh, and I'm not saying we can all say, well, I just choose to reject that. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, the country of of my heritage was a British colony until the 1960s. So. Yeah, I have every right to be here. Mm. Anybody tells me that I'm not, it's like. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, but you you clearly know less about the country that you live in than I do. Yeah. Like it's not up for discussion or debate. You Absolutely. know, um, I feel that that any politicising of 
my existence in this country is, is, is externally imposed. I mean, I feel like that, that my work is about challenging that imposition, but it is frankly an imposition. I feel very, I think, secure in my Britishness. Now, I wouldn't define as English because unfortunately yeah. the racists yeah. hijacked that, but um, like, I would certainly <laughs> like, the, you know, same with the St. George's flag. They hijacked yeah, it, unfortunately. Hijacked so it. if you have a problem with what I'm saying, go and argue with the people who are still using <laughs> yeah. the flag. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of feel the same way about, like, literally the word Britishness. I almost feel like that's been hijacked by the nationalists as well. When I think about describing myself as British, I cannot remove it from its, mm. like, like being, um, what's the word for it? Uh, like, be, from being patriotic and being proud to be yeah. British. Mm. And obviously, like, it it's, well. there is a difference in, like, being something and, like, being proud to be it. But, like, mm. when someone's like, oh, I'm British, I'm like, yeah. you're a nationalist. Yeah. That's what you are. <laughs> yeah, I disagree. Yeah. I feel that, you know, my... I mean, I'm not screaming, shouting, oh, I'm proud to be British, mm. but I'm not not proud. To, I'm just neutral about it. Mm. You know, it, like it doesn't necessarily London, mean though, that. I'll be like, I'm a proud South yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that about Manchester, man. I like, feel pride about yeah. any, like, facet of, of, like, externally imposed things that, like, define me, that attempt to define me as a human being. Like, um, as far as I'm concerned, like, the only reason why these things are important is because by virtue of the body I've been born in, I've, I've seemed to be defied against a norm mm -hmm. which is completely politically constructed and which I spend a lot of my career attempting to say this is a totally messed up political construction that mm -hmm. like divines the majority of the human population as the other mm -hmm. um, but I don't really have any sort of like internal turmoil I mean so my my heritage is Nigerian I was in Lagos last month and I was like by the end of my trip I was like Ready to leave now, I'll be um, honest with you. Really? Do you not want to like... Do you Ready not to go. More, do you not feel more like, okay, I could just stay here now for another month? Like, Absolutely not. Um. <laughs> like, absolutely not. But that's because I... I mean, I don't know. Every person is different, but I don't feel any like diaspora like turmoil i know that that's a big theme in literature at the moment but i just don't feel it because i oh i definitely I was, the diaspora turmoil. i was brought up in in london do you know yeah. what i mean i feel I, like i'm I, a londoner that's why that, so i'm proud maybe to that be i'm a londoner the, the, the difference yeah. in, in a way because, i don't feel like yeah. caught between two, two cultures i yeah. don't i just feel mm -hmm. and I, like, I travel a lot for work so everywhere every time i go abroad for work i'm like Yes, I'm, I'm definitely a British person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but actually, that's true, because when I go away, I spot myself doing things that a British person would expect. Mm. So in that sense, like, there are things and, like, themes and, like, mannerisms that I... But it's just that whole, like, the label of British. It just feels mm. really big. Mm. I've know. been questioned about my Britishness more since the EU referendum than ever before. Like, the man who racially abused me on the train, the first thing he said was, do you have a British passport? I had my British passport in my bag because um, a couple of days later, I had stepped off a plane from a former British colony where my mother was born, Guyana, which hardly anyone's heard of. And I think it's really important to say that um, a brown or black person can be just as British as a white person. And this country is woefully lacking an understanding of that because of the shocking ignorance of our heritage of immigration. I mean, I was taught more about Henry VIII's wives and the Bayeux tapestry than I was about the history of immigration, which is shocking. I was like a brown girl growing up in multicultural Manchester. And then people wonder why they don't understand that, you know, a brown or black person could be just as British as a white person. It's shocking. And we just urgently need more education about that, about what, what it means to be... Like, like you were saying, like you've written a book about... <laughs> Um, about um, this lack of education as well about Britishness, but I also agree as well that about the Englishness thing that I don't identify there, and about the St George's flag. Like I was walking in the north, the countryside of the north over the summer, and I'd see the St George's flag, and to me it's a hostile symbol. And I wrote about it in an article in BBC Wildlife, and I got some huffy um, responses, huffy huffy letters in saying it's not a hostile symbol to us. I'm like. Well, do you have no empathy? Do you do you does it feel like a hostile symbol to? Yeah, other I think that very much what you said about Englishness and Britishness. I think for me that's merged, and now I see it as something that's been co-opted, and it's something that yeah. people I don't necessarily identify have. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm not. I don't care to sort of be like on either side of like yes, I'm proudly or no, I'm not. But it is something that bothers me that I can't seem to like grasp if that makes sense, as, like, as, as sort of like a concrete part of my identity. Um, so, yeah. 
Renny, I want to touch on the kind of themes of siblinghood. Um, and I remember being 12 also and finding out that my mum, well, she was actually pregnant, but like finding out my mum was pregnant and I was like absolutely livid that she would think about having another child that wasn't me. I was so angry because um, she was mine and, and she was going to be taken away. And for you, it seems to be slightly different reasons, but can you talk, talk me back about why you had such an extreme response, do you think? Was it just a bad day or what? I can't, I'm not quite sure, but I just remember feeling really angry. I'm not quite sure why. I think that like, and here's a, I think a little bit more like of a nuanced layer to the conversation, which is, um, I do feel that, and my immediate family, like, are not actually technically immigrants. Like, my mum was born in Bradford. But I do think that there is a like, recent diaspora immigration thing where like, you parentify children so a therapist would call it the parentified child, where the um, oldest children basically take on parenting duties. Um, and that's a delegation that parents do with no consultation from the oldest children, like I was the oldest. And um, it means that you can't really be a kid, you know? And so I guess, like, looking back in hindsight, and this is now, like, I don't know, 17 years of hindsight or something... I, I can guess that my anger was due to the fact that I knew that I was going to have to be involved in some of that child rearing as well, and I was I was going to lose some. Um, and you'd already done freedom. a bit of your time. You were like, "I've done this once. Can I do this again?" Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, but like I said, I was <laughs> in the audience. Sorry. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, like I said, I cleared the extract with him, and he said that it wasn't that bad. But yeah, I imagine that I felt probably like really angry and resentful that I was about to lose a bunch of freedom and that's something that I had to deal with right up until I properly moved out from home you know and I remember towards the end like having really big arguments with my mother because by that point she had had another child and it was just expected when I moved home from uni that I would be involved in um rearing that kid and I was like I'm not being funny I'm not saying that I don't I don't like my little sister I, I just haven't I chosen her, to, to do this at but this like when I choose to have a child that's mm. when I'll give up my my mobility and like start making inroads in and like organizing my life around their care but I, since I haven't chosen to have a child I'm not willing to do that you know mm, mm. but I think that like my mother grew up with this expectation that that's that's what you do you know this debt of like obligation to the family which okay fine but then also like you've brought you've raised me here in Britain which is for all intents and purposes a much more individualistic culture now, 20 years later, you can't be arguing with me because I've absorbed those, <laughs> those tendencies and I don't want to do it the way that you grew up with. So that's a little bit more of a, I don't know, struggling to two cultures thing, but it was certainly a clash. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We were talking, you kind of had a little bit to say about Yeah, that, I very much like the thing that you were saying about um, sort of the oldest in like the family being expected to um, sort of look after um, sort of younger siblings. And I think often, I've been thinking about this recently and... Um, and I think that often it comes from that, exactly what you said about it sort of infringing on your mobility and you not having made the choice to like have a kid or like have parts of, and, and, and you know, half parts of your life sort of affected by this little person that now needs to be the centre of like your world. Um, even if it's not specifically you who's like the main carer, you have to sort of provide or nurture in some way. Um, and then I was thinking about how um, a lot of people can interpret that as being selfish. Um, and, and uh, you know, me as well as a lot of other people that I know have those sort of responsibilities. And if you don't take them on because culturally they're expected, well, in my culture they are at least, um, you're sort of seen as selfish and sort of not giving back, your, you know, your time back into the family. And exactly like you said, like, if I wanted kids and I wanted to be in, like, that, you know, relationship situation, I'd be there right now, but I'm not, and there's, like, a, you know, I'm navigating this part of my life. And I think a lot of people think that that sounds very self-centred or, like, selfish, but I don't think it necessarily is. Even if, like, your natural instinct, as soon as you hear that, is to think, wow, this person's so self-centred. Like, think about it. Like, you're allowed to have... You should be allowed to make that choice for yourself, and so... I kind of understand, like, your frustration. Well, there's a reason why therapists and in psychotherapy, they call it a parentified child. It's because you... that It takes your childhood away from you. And let's be really specific about who's expected to do this. It's women. It's young women. Okay, so it's not like it's a... It's like an across-the-board family expectation. It's usually the oldest daughter who has to suddenly take on parenting responsibilities. I think to, to spurn them through... To, to spurn those... Uh, expectations through choice is a feminist act in a context yeah. which which expects women f- from like y- day dot to essentially um, organize your life around caring responsibilities even if they're not your own children because that's what women in our community do you know um, and so uh, you could probably tell from this monologue that no I'm not a particularly mater- maternal person but if I did take on those caring responsibilities I'd like to take those caring responsibilities on because I've chosen them, not because they've been expected of me. Yeah. And that, that's the difference. Yeah. Do, you, do you guys find that now in your sort of adult relationships, you find yourself slipping into caring roles or do you sort of push back from them? <laughs> Mariam's like, no. <laughs> I'm very... Um, so so um, I have two young nieces and um, I'm the eldest in the girls in my family. But I also have... Um, so my brother's older than me, but then I have three other sisters. And growing up, I was that, and my mum's a single mother, so I was that, like, person, like, cha- like I will literally say to my sister, who's, like, five, six years younger than me, I've changed your, na- I've changed your nappies, I've changed your diapers, I've done your clothes, I've given you bats. And she's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, why are you denying the things I actually remember doing? Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I've played that role. So now, with my younger nieces, I've actually taken more of like the spoiled brat auntie so I do like fall into babysitting often and I love them and I don't mind it um but my younger sisters I let them take that complete responsibility of like being that co-parent I'm like well I've done it I did it with you guys now it's your turn to do it with them and they're like 20 and like 8 2019 so like both of them have to do it more and it's weird that the youngest is doing the most because that's not how it usually goes Mm. but like for me how I'm justifying that is I dealt with you three so now you have to take this on do you have any siblings I have an extremely complicated sibling situation well it would be like complicated on the Facebook (laughs) relationship (laughs) stage well my parents are divorced like my mum I grew up in a single parent family with my mum from the age of like five and I'm the youngest for my mum and have 
an elder sister and an elder brother from my mum. But then I, uh, when I was nine, and I was not the youngest for my dad anymore. So my dad, I had to weird term but half brothers which is always like it's quite a weird all these t- language of describing like non-traditional families as well needs to change like when I was growing up um there was still a lot of stigma in my community and culture about being brown and having divorced parents people were shocked by it because people I look South Asian even though my heritage is more complex um but there's this idea that like families are so strong and stable and um, never get divorced, shock, horror. I don't actually know any other um, brown families whose parents were divorced. I was, anyway, so um, my dad has two um, other sons. So I did take on that nurturing role, that caring role, um, when suddenly um, I had a little baby stepbrother. And I, I really, I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed it, but then it, like, I won't go into it now, because this is being podcasted, man, but um, it, might, it was very, very fractious, and, and it was really actually quite painful. And um, I, think, I think growing up is such a brilliant theme, because um, we only really realise the effect that all this has on us when we're a certain age, and looking back at how these dynamics and these relationships have affected our adult relationships, as you, as you say. Yeah. I think the point around language as well and families is a really interesting one in terms of half this and half that. And I think I remember one time my sister, who is technically like my half-sister, but she's... just call her my sister yeah, she used that nice. term in an argument to really like, get to me oh. and honestly like it broke my I'm oh. so like it broke oh. my heart I was like no. can you you can you imagine Iona turning yeah. around and saying that to me I was devastated um but yeah language is powerful yeah. really it is, is all I wanted it? to say language can work Iona's very yeah. precocious isn't she yes yeah. yes um, so <laughs> unlike you guys I'm an only child and I was actually desperate for a sibling, sibling growing up. Can have one of mine. Yeah, can have one of mine as well, both yeah. of them. Yeah. But it's, it's funny, like, yeah, I, I was absolutely desperate. But then I realised in my adult relationships, probably like my romantic relationships, like the, I don't know, I love caring for people, but I also feel very, like I'm actually quite independent. I didn't realise quite how independent I was and sort of seeing some of my my boyfriend's past um, relationships with their family and their siblings and how like big and like intimate they all are is actually a bit shocking for me. I'm just like, wow, mm. is this how you, is this how the other half live? Is this how people with siblings behave? What? <laughs> um, yeah. Did you have friends who became like siblings? Yeah, like, I really did. And like, I remember, oh, it was really sad. So I moved in at university with like four of my best mates from like halls and we were all sitting on, on my bed on the sort of first day that we moved in together. And I was like, oh my God, guys, is this what it's like having sisters? And they all turned around and looked at me like, what are you saying? I was like, okay, perhaps not. <laughs> yeah, it's very sad. But yeah, I do, I do have very close friends from home. Yeah, like I, and I do really think that's, an impo- that's been important for me as well. And I, for me, like in my life, water has been um, as thick as blood out of necessity. And, and sometimes like, it's about belonging. If you don't always feel like you belong into the family that you're born into, and it's still a stigma to say that, that you, you know, because we're, we're supposed to belong. If you don't, I think it's, you know, fine to say, I'm going to make my own water family. Mm-hmm. And that's a phrase I have to say from Elif Shafak, who was speaking earlier today. Nice. She talks about the water family. That's beautiful. Um, okay, so we have some, like, uh, questions that we want to sort of put to all of you guys. Um, and it's about sort of, yeah, looking reflecting. back, reflecting where you're at then, where you're at now. Um, so the first question is, what do you think your younger self would think about your life now? I don't think my younger self could quite understand or would be able to like really under- conceptualise the fact that I could probably make a good living out of having very little regard for authority. <laughs> yeah. I think like my younger self, and I'm talking not me 12, but maybe me at 22 like accepted at that point that like if you want to proceed in this work then you will have to just reduce your outgoings to nothing mm. and consign uh, like resign yourself to a life of poverty and that's what happens if you want to do stuff that's like revolved around activism so you know I'm doing a lot of grown-up things at the moment and I'm like wow that's yeah I never really imagined this stuff happening for me mm. so yeah what are you doing that's grown up if you don't mind me asking um Many things. Many, <laughs> many, many. Yeah, things. I don't know if I want to say any of these things on the record, but <laughs> okay, just many things. So yeah. big things. I'm, ex- I'm excited to, to find yeah, out. Yeah, just you know, grown up things. That I'm just like wow. Voting. 
<laughs> yeah, voting. Next yeah. source. So. <laughs> How about you, Anita? What do you think? You're I for? think my younger self would be shocked that I was sitting on this stage speaking with a microphone because I was absolutely terrified of my own voice. Like, to that extent, I felt erased that I wouldn't put my hand up in class. I would like if the teacher would look at me and ask, I would go hot and cold. I'd have a physiological reaction, and I was I didn't speak in class. I was like didn't have actually use my voice at all I was like a, outside of class it was different with my friends but I, I had I was terrified of like speaking in, in a group and in public so there'd be a shock that I was I actually do a lot of um public speaking for a living mm. and be going on stage and now like I just enjoy like using having a voice but using and also being in conversation with other people and hearing their voice I'm, I'm not I think my my younger self would be disappointed about other aspects of my life which are not adulthood at, at all like still renting but and um, things like that I can't even drive I'm like quite a kiddle in many ways but I blame the government completely for the <laughs> shocking cuts and mm. all that I won't even go into that but just don't vote Tory please you're <laughs> wearing red for Labour so yeah. lady <laughs> <laughs> um, I think um, it's kind of similar to what you said but also as much as I was a tiny mouse when I was younger um, and I just wasn't able to like speak up I kind of like I don't know if it's gonna sound weird but like I kind of always didn't feel like it was gonna be like that as well because I was too stubborn like I've always been I feel like I've just I feel like where I am now is through a lot of effort and hard work and people helping me but through a lot of stubbornness as well and just being like no this is how it's gonna go and I'm gonna make it go like this um so so some of what you were saying in regards to like oh my god what am I doing here but also like I like kind of could in the far distance kind of see where I wanted yeah, not yeah. that I ever imagined publishing a book or like you know doing the things that I, I did just I don't know if like personality wise is who I am mm -mm -mm. like I think my personality history stayed true to that me if that makes any sense yeah Sometimes I think that my younger self would just have been like, even was this fake, like made up situation in Korea? Yeah. I don't get it. Like it's like my dad didn't really get it. Like what, what is this? What's yeah. the galdem? I don't understand. What's the galdem like? Yeah. In this context, um, but that's really interesting to hear about how you've kind of like really grown into your voice and and to be sitting here after just not thinking that that was something that would ever be possible. Mm. And also like sometimes, I mean, at, like my depression was so bad, like sometimes I didn't even envisage a future for myself. So mm. I didn't even, you know, you'd be, that like every day was difficult to get through. So even even simple, simply being alive, we got, I think, and one of the people, oh no, we're going to get into that, so I won't say it, but um, simply being alive, I think is, however successful or not we might measure ourselves, is got to be something to be celebrated. So. important um, we have one more question for all of you before our quick fire round um, so we want to know what is the best piece of advice that you've received recently but I can amend this so it can be the best piece of advice that you've ever been given what would that be because I'm always very conscious of asking for help and then maybe not being able to give help back mm -hmm. the best piece of advice that I've I've received is if you can't give um um, if you can't like basically give back, make sure you like plan forward as in like pull people up with you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's how I basically took, I took that with my book and I mm. thought this book like this probably won't get published or like, and I know it's a really bad way to think, but like I just thought, well, if we can get as many people in this, then maybe that will be something. So making a space for as many That's people lovely. as you can. Yeah. I didn't I didn't I mean obviously I presumed but yeah. I, I hadn't heard you speak about like that reasoning behind having so many voices in it so that's that's really beautiful I would completely second that um completely so important paying forward and also it gets rid of so many other like negative um emotions like it makes um gets rid of competing and makes it collaboration become more important um and so for me I one of them it's been that fail again and fail better, not to be um, scared of failure because um, you can always turn it on its head and make the most make the most of it. But I think there's huge pressures on young women to be successful and, you know, to have that ideal of uh, have children at a certain age. And if you're, you know, you don't have children, you're somehow not properly a woman. All these kind of awful pressures of and ideas for success. So it's to um, not be scared of not um, of failing in other people's conceptions of what success might be. 
I always used to say to particular aunties who uh, like to pile pressure on me, mm. I never said it to them to their face because, you know, too much deference in my culture. But um, when they would be like, there's this aunties who got, you know, they, they have a couple of kids, but they're not married. Yet they'll come in to harass and bother me about where's your <laughs> I husband. Get it, I get it. And I'm like, about it so much. Hmm, I'm not sure if I'm going to take advice from somebody who has not heeded to their own advice. Exactly. You know? exactly. And that's not to shame. That's certainly not to shame. But clearly, I don't like the way that that particular auntie was externalizing her own standards for herself onto me. Right. You know. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's anyway. I just I feel like there's that. That saying, isn't it? It's like, don't take advice from people who, you know, aren't, aren't where you want to be in life. Exactly. My brother made a joke about me not being married and me dying alone. And I was like, great. And my mum was like, my mum, my mum, actually, of all people, was like, actually, I don't want her to get married anymore. This woman who's been pestering me for like, ever. She's like, I don't want her to get married. Everyone who gets married now gets divorced the next day. So it's fine. She can stay single. And I was like, oh. I was like, this is a breakthrough. Like, I didn't even have to <laughs> wow. say anything. So I've kind of, I feel like in my household, the message is getting there. Like, Congrats. the sheer stubbornness of, I'm not getting married when you tell me to, I'll do it when I'm good and ready, is kind of getting there. I mean, I think that there's been, I just feel so lucky uh, and privileged to be born and to have come of age at a time where medical advances, reproductive rights, um, you know, women in the workplace, women in education, has all, like, led to a situation where that's just something I can actually really choose. And it doesn't have to be out of economic necessity or being impregnated before I really want to be, you know. Like, now I can actually really make a choice to do mm. that if I so choose. And just think about the vast, like, societal change that's happened in the last 100 years, which meant that my grandmother didn't have the choice, you know? My partner's um, mother didn't have the choice. She didn't have the free choice to make those decisions because um, things were in such a way that, like, she wasn't able to work independently. So in order to leave her family home, she had to get married, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, wow, lucky me. I'm going to really... Think about I'm going to really think yeah. about this decision. For a minute. Yeah, I'm going to think about it. Lucky me. Financial independence, wow. <laughs> and I just Incredible. think that like, sometimes when those older family members come up, come up with us with those assumptions, you just have to have like sympathy from the context that they're coming from mm -hmm. because I think for a lot of those older family members, like us being in the position that we're in is, you know, it was frankly inconceivable for them and their youth. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, I just keep these thoughts to myself. Uh, in the family context. I will, however, speak about it openly on stage. <laughs> <laughs> on a podcast. Thank yes. you. Well, they're not going to listen. They don't even know what podcasts are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can just You'd imagine your brother putting yeah, it on know, for Christmas. Things can happen. Things yeah. can travel. Yeah. That one auntie will see and the next minute you'll be coming out to your podcast. Speech. <laughs> the podcast. On the Get the Queen's speech. Put the Gowden podcast on for Christmas Day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so now we're going to move on to our quick fire round. Are you ready? As quickly as you can, Drum roll. guys. Um, I like the ones that I've got. Okay. Oh, yeah, I like them now. There's a <laughs> Good and I like answer. Them. Okay. Grateful that they were born. So. <laughs> um, okay, Anita, what is your favourite joke? My favourite joke is... Um, you told us a really good joke earlier as well. You told us like a few jokes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, about my name. Because my name's Anita Sethi or Seti, um, spelled S-E-T-H-I. My mum says Sethi, my dad says Seti. It it's, comes from his name. But I say Sethi because if you say um, Seti, like if I wanted a daughter and called it Iona, it'd be like Iona Seti and a three-piece suite. <laughs> All right. yeah, like it, a chair. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm laughing and it's offensive, but that was actually funny. <laughs> That's why I do like chairing gigs because of I'm a setter, you know, I'm a setty. There we go. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> prompting me. I had a total like joke blank. Yeah, we were just because like, we, so we, we had this question like lined up for you, and then we were like, oh, but maybe like Anita won't want to tell a joke. And then you just told us like three jokes. We were like, well, humour's always been my survival technique, right? Mm -hmm. Really, yeah. it's an yeah. important one. Yeah. What is your favourite K-pop group? It's BTS. And actually, I have a secret <laughs> Twitter account that nobody knows about. Oh, really? 
Yeah, yeah. Is BTS it, is army. Yep. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a BTS army. Do, do, do you use like the hashtag and stuff? The hashtag. Is there not a hashtag? Sorry, I don't no, know. No, there isn't a hashtag. Oh, okay, sorry. Well, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Renny, maybe you're into Renny's well. gonna I like that it. one song, oh. you know, where they dance vigorously. <laughs> what, they do that in all of their music. Oh. oh my God, is Renny a BTS fan? Okay. I like the one song where I'm they dance vigorously. I'm going to send you a playlist. <laughs> She's I like, did. please don't. I have, I do listen to the album, but... I, I wasn't a big fan, apart from that one song where they dance vigorously. They do that with all their Yeah, songs. Nicki Minaj is on this one. Oh, um, Idol. It's called yeah, yeah, Idol. Exactly. It's I about like having a persona and being an idol and being... Po- anyway, right. let's not go into BTS. I'll, I'll okay. make sure to listen to that later. Yeah. Um, just <laughs> just to, to round this up, Yeah. thank you so thank much, you so thank much. You so for joining much. us. Can we give a massive round thank of applause? Thank you. Thank you very much. Where can the audience find all of you? And what are you up to next? Well, you can find me on Twitter mostly. Unfortunately, I have an addiction. Um, so it's at Hello, I am Mariam, should you really, really want to talk to me on Twitter. Um, and then in good bookshops. And Could you tell us a bit about what it's going to be about? Yeah, it's called... Um, it's like a retort to the, the mean guy on the train who told me that I don't belong. And he told me, it's called I Belong Here, a journey along the backbone of Britain. The guy on the train told me to go back to where I'm from. And in the book, I do. I'm from the north. So um, the train journey that I was on was from Liverpool to Newcastle. And like I joke, like I was on the most unglamorous train journey ever. And actually one day I was sat at home and I looked on the map um, just to get my head around the location. And it's, it's like, there rises up the Pennines, which is some of the most beautiful oh parts it's a of lovely walk. the world. Yeah. Yes. So, and that's known as the backbone of Britain. So in the book, I walk through the Pennines. To, and did you do the Pennine chat. way? I kind of did the Pennine way, but I did it my way. <laughs> <laughs> so because I basically, um, it was slightly a bit too arduous for me to do the whole thing. It's a very tough walk. It's a tough walk, isn't it? I tried and I failed. I, 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 tried. I like walking. Oh my god! And like it's called the backbone of Britain. My back was so hurt after the first mile. So um, it was that was quite testing. But then this sounds really cheesy and corny. But then writing it up is like almost a more difficult journey in itself, but challenging as well. Um, It's like, and that's what I feel about the writing up the process now. It's just if I'm feeling despondent or thinking, I just think, well, just remember climbing that mountain and how difficult it was, and how relieved I was when I made it to the top. Beautiful. Um, Thank you. How about you, Renny? What have you got coming coming up? Nothing. <laughs> she has, she's a Voting. Woman. Yeah, I'm going to vote. You vote. You know. <laughs> well, who do you think? You have multiple translations. How many translations have you got now of the book? I don't know, maybe five or six. So if you want to read my book in other languages, if you can read in other languages, you're very welcome to. The Which languages? Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. It's out in French, German... Uh, Brazilian Portuguese, um, d- uh, Dutch. Um, I don't know, I can't remember now. Anyway, so you can read my book if you want. That's one way to find my thoughts. You could find me on social media, but please don't. <laughs> You're good at social media. Yes. Um, please don't find me on social media. <laughs> Just read the book. <laughs> Renny will be doing signings of the book, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I, <laughs> what do you think of that self-partnering term? What does everyone think of that? You know that term self-partnering uh, for... Um, I actually never read... Yeah, I know that you like the interview where she speaks about self-partnering. Oh, I right. oh, what Emma Watson. Yeah, Emma Watson. Watson. popped into my mind. Yeah. Emma Watson. Um, I mean, I felt that it was a real crying shame that a 45-minute interview where she spoke about white privilege, yeah. trans rights, and a number of different things... Everyone came away with a... Uh, the headlines was, oh, Emma Watson, single. And she's calling right. itself partnered now. I was like, wow. And <sighs> I tell you what, ever since, like, Emma engaged with me on my book, I have, like, noticed the press coverage around her, and it's so reductive. Like, it doesn't matter how much interesting stuff she says. Mm. Nobody ever pays attention to the interesting stuff she says, mm. and everyone pays attention to the way that she looks or whether or not she's in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I just find that so weird. So and, weird. like, so I, I feel a bit like... You know, maybe I was naive beforehand. I wasn't really paying attention to press coverage on female celebrities. And then, you know, after my book came out, female celebrities were, like, engaging with it or reading it. And I realised that, like, the world wasn't interested in 
them talking about their political views or books they're reading. You know, like I remember when the girls from Little Mix, one of them, the wokest one, of course, mm. like shouted out my book in an interview. Wait, which, which one's the wokest one? Uh, Jade. Oh, yeah, the one who did the documentary recently. No, that's the... Uh, I mean, I'm not saying she's not woke, I don't know, but... I don't, I don't, okay, yeah. <laughs> anyway, and like in this interview, they put like the write-up put like her makeup choices like essentially higher up the article than like her talking about books she was reading um and so you know in terms of like what i think about like emma watson's thoughts on self-partnering in general i just feel like it's a crying shame that like young women celebrities who for all intents and purposes Mm. have been famous for their entire adult lives like Mm. All the headlines just value yeah. what they look like or who they're in a relationship with. Mm. Like, when Emma took the selfie with my book, like, all the headlines were about she's changed her hair. Oh, my God. And I was like, wow. this is... I mean, I can't imagine what it must be like to be her. Like, where yeah. you change your hair and there's now dozens of articles about yeah. how you changed your hair. It's my bizarre. God. You know? Yeah. So that's my so little rant about the situation. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's like 2019, man. Come on! Yeah. I also think those of us who are the literati can sometimes like fall into um, the habit of like accepting those terms of how we discuss these women in the first place, mm-hmm. accepting those terms and not being critical about them. And I just think that that's that's weird. We should be a bit more critical about like mm-hmm. how women entertainers, actresses, musicians are being they're being written about. It's being written like they're empty-headed dolly birds, and I, I just don't think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's intentional, yeah. but. It's another conversation itself. Yeah. The way that they're written about. But yeah. Another conver- another yeah. time, another yeah. stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or after balance. the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much again to our amazing guests, to Charlie, to um, Words Weekend for having us. If you want to find out more about Galdem, you can head over to our social media and stuff as well. Same, same. Read the website is yeah. where all the good, good content is. Gal hyphen, the hyphen is important, dem.com. <laughs> um, we're all going to be outside um, signing our various books so you can come and like chat to us then. We don't have time for a Q&A, unfortunately. But it's been wonderful. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. This has been an II Studios production. Our researchers for the series have been Sana Huck and Alicia Ali. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll tune into the next one. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review, rate us and subscribe. It really helps the show. And if you'd like to find out more about Galdem, you can head over to our Instagram page at Galdemzine. That's G-A-L-D-E-M-Z-I-N-E. Or you can visit our website, which is G-A-L hyphen, which is important, D-E-M dot com. Galdem has a book which is out now. It's called I Will Not Be Erased, Our Stories About Growing Up as People of Colour. You can find it in all good bookstores or online. Thank you so much for listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.